Hey there, this is Pastor John Ware, lead pastor of Lifehouse Newport News, a church that exists to help all people experience life change through Christ. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. We hope it inspires you and gives you perspective to see how God is moving in your life. Now let's get to today's episode. If you have never seen Lion King, I want to give you a brief description of it. But before we actually do that, you know, some of you, if it's your first time here or something like that, you might say, why the heck are we doing a series about movies? And honestly, some of them like Forrest Gump, Star Wars, we did Avengers and things like that. That, you know, honestly, there's some things in those films that, 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 that we wouldn't condone or we wouldn't say they're like, you know, really biblical or anything like that. But at the same time, consider this. Over 10, 210 million uh, Americans went to the movies last year and spent $12 billion on going to see movies. And millions more view that at home and online. At least 85% of people are regularly watching movies or TV shows. In contrast, only about 16% of people in this country go to church. So what does this mean? It says every television is a teacher and every movie is a messenger. Most people are getting their theology from the theater. Movie shapes our views, our doubts, our, our beliefs. This is, neither, this is neither good nor bad. It's just the reality of the culture that we live in. Andrew Fletcher said this. He was a philosopher. He said, give me the making of the songs of a nation, and I care not who writes its laws. Essentially what he's saying there is if you is if you can influence people, one of the best ways to influence people isn't by the laws you create, it's by the arts you create. Because think about it, young people, they're not reading the Bill of Rights. Young people, they've got, what, they've got headphones in, and they're listening to music. And those sorts of different mediums influence us. And, and what this philosopher was telling us is we are influenced, heavily influenced, by the arts we consume. Now, here's, here's the thing. If, if a picture is worth a thousand words, imagine what a film can communicate. Our goal with this series is to uncover the spiritual themes in some of the most popular movies. We want to, to, decode, to decode these relevant culture shapers and unpack the truth behind these big screen teachers. And today's movie is Lion King. Here's the thing about Lion King. After being anointed as the next king of the jungle, the young lion cub Simba is, a, is every bit as eager to take his proud father's Mufasa's place as the king. However, his, this makes Simba's villainous uncle... Scar, jealous of him, but when Mufasa is suddenly murdered by Scar, Simba feels responsible for his death and runs away from home. Meeting up with two outcasts named Timon and Pumbaa, Simba embraces their ways of Hakuna Matata. For the rest, I'm sorry. Years later, approached by his childhood friend Nala and the wise baboon Rafiki, Simba must return home to stop Scar's evil reign and fulfill his destiny as the new king. Here's the thing. Simba had a destiny on his life, a calling on, a calling on his life to be king of the jungle. Here's, here's the thing, right? I don't want to get too spiritual too, too quick, but honestly, we say this a whole lot with this church. You have a calling, a destiny on your life. We believe that, that as a Christ, a, a Christ follower, as a Christian, you have a calling on your life. Now, sometimes, though, as Christians, we can think, well, I'm called to be this. And that. The, your, your greatest calling in your life is to be a child of God. It's not to something. Your greatest calling is to somebody. Let me say that one more time. Your greatest calling is to somebody, not something. More than any job you can have, person you can actually 
marry, place you live, salary you make, your greatest and most important calling on your life is of a child of God. And you think Simba had a calling on his life to be king, but what you see, Scar, his villainous uncle, set up a plan to have his father killed and then blame him for it. And what we actually see, a scene in this film, this actually happens. Scars, he sets up this whole plan, kills Mufasa, and Simba is there looking over his, his father's body. And Scar comes along and starts saying things like, how could you, Simba? How dare you? No one will ever love you. You could never go back to your parents knowing what you've done. And then he says, he tells Simba this, run, run, go. And Simba, being a, a kid, essentially gets up and runs. And y'all, let me tell you this. Here's the thing. We believe at the church in Christianity that we have someone that doesn't like us. And that's the devil, right? Like we've got a straight up enemy that does not like us, that wants to take us out, that wants to keep us from God's best. And here's the thing, right? The enemy will use the same tactics that Scar used to talk you out of your calling to be a child of God. You know what he'll use? He'll use shame, guilt, and condemnation. Shame is this. You've done something. Oh, excuse me. Guilt is this. You've done something wrong. Shame is you are somebody wrong. And, the, and Satan, some of his greatest tactics are he will focus on what you've done and try to tell you who you aren't. Because the bottom line is this, y'all. The devil has already been defeated. Like the end of the story has already been told. The end of the story is clear. Satan loses. He might win a few battles, but he doesn't win the war. So we've got to know when, whenever we face Satan, we are fighting a defeated enemy. Someone that has already been taken out. Here's the thing. Do you, know what, do you know what that word devil actually means? In the actual Greek language, that word devil means this, accuser. Accuser. That's all the enemy has. Is he, wants, he, he doesn't have power over you. Why? Because the spirit of God that is, that is in you overcomes him. So the only tactic he has to keep you from your calling as a child of God is to accuse you through guilt, shame, and condemnation. He says stuff like, like this. How could you do that? You're a Christian. How could you say that to, your, to that person? I can't believe you would go and do that. What kind of Christian are you? Maybe you aren't even a Christian. Maybe it was just fake. Maybe your experience on that Sunday was just a hoax. You aren't really a Christian. Do you know, you know what you need to do? You need to run. Run from the church. They're not going to love you. Run from God. He's not going to accept you. Just, just run and go. And the same tactics that Scar used is the same voices that he will use to keep you from your true identity of being a child of God. He will try to, try to talk you out of your identity. And, and he'll tell you, here's his goal, isolation. His goal is to isolate you. Why? 
Because then you've only got your voices going on in your head and his voices trying to influence you and focus on what you've done and focus on who you aren't. And he wants to ultimately condemn you. So he wants to get you away from the people that love you. He wants to get you away from God's word. He wants to get you away from those people and stuff that reminds you of who God says you are. And here's the thing. If today you struggle with this, if, if today you struggle with always feeling like you'll, you will, n- n- you will n- never belong, that God will never love you because of what you've done, those are never the words and the voices and tactics that God will use to draw you to himself. He will never, ever, ever guilt you or shame you or condemn you to draw you to himself. So anything that goes with that, you know whose voice it is. It ain't God's. God will never say, I can't believe you. I can't believe you would do that. No, that is the voice of Satan trying to get you guilt, shame, and condemn you. Let me tell you God's tactics. In Romans 2.4, it says this. Says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Another translation says this it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. God's tactics with you will never be, I can't believe. God's tactics with you will always be I love you I'm for you I care for you I'm here for you I know you've wandered off right 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 now but I'm not moving I'm not leaving I will be here whenever you decide to come back as a matter of fact I'm just not going to leave you running while you are running from me I'm going to be running after you That is the tactics that God uses. He will never use guilt, shame, and condemnation to draw you to himself. It will always be the kindness of God. Here's the thing. These are the same tactics Satan been using for a long time. He even tried to use them on Jesus. Luke chapter 4. We're going to see Jesus. He was led into into a desert season where he was, uh, Scripture says, tempted. Tempted. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and then it says he was hungry. That's a, well, duh, right? It's like, thank you, Bible person that put that. Thank you, Luke, for putting that little detail in Scripture that he was hungry after 40 days and 40 nights. For us, it's like 40 minutes we're hungry, you know? <laughs> anyway, anyway that we can see Jesus, is he, even Satan, when he was trying to tempt Jesus to sin, let's just look, let's just kind of look in here and see what Satan's even said to the Son of God that tried to tempt him. This is what says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan. And was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are, what's he he going for? His identity. If you are who you say you are. It says, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. If you're so powerful, Jesus. (laughs) Jesus answered, it is It is what? Written. So Jesus here doesn't say, Oprah said. Jesus doesn't hear, I I read a blog. He says, it is written. In other words, saying, I'm my, what is going to be my source and power to fight the lies that Satan brings is God's written word. It is his word. He says, this is who I am. He says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. 
A different translation says, but on every word that comes out of God's mouth. Then it says here, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. And then Satan gets crafty. He even starts to, he even quotes the Bible. He's dirty, man. Satan fights dirty. He says, it is written. So here Satan even says, it is written. But he takes scripture and takes it out of context. And Satan will do that. He will take God's word and twist it and, con- and contort it to make it be what sometimes we want instead of what God actually intends. He says, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. He's quoting Psalm 91, like the very song we just sang. The final song we sang, I will trust you. I don't sing as you do. I'm not on the worship team. There's a clear reason for that. Preachers preach, worship leaders worship lead. Right? We have a clear delineation here. Right? But it says, you are my poet. Like that, that song is a breakdown of what Satan's saying here. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered this. He said, do not put your Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him for an and opportune time. The key here is it is written. You can't fight the lies of, that Satan tries to bring against your identity if you don't have a clear understanding of who God says you are. And some of you here, the reason why you're struggling with, this, with condemnation, guilt, and shame, it's because you don't have the tools to fight back and say, this is who God says I am instead of what Satan accuses me of being. I love what Batterson says here. Mark, Mark, Batterson, he says this here. Condemnation is being, excuse me, condemnation is feeling guilty over confessed sin. That better be Jesus. (laughs) Conviction. (laughs) Is is that Carrie Underwood? Oh, God, no. I'm letting go. Give me one more chance. Jesus, take the wheel. Oh, I love our church. Give it up, man. I just, I just love our church. Oh, I love our church. Let me try this again. Condemnation is feeling guilty over confessed sin. Conviction, conviction is feeling guilty over unconfessed sin. Conviction is healthy and holy. It comes from the Holy Spirit. It's the way we get right with God and get on with our lives. If you don't listen to his convicting voice, you won't hear his comforting voice, his wise voice, or his GPS voice either. Hearing the voice of God is a package deal. If you don't listen to everything the Holy Spirit has to say, it's difficult to hear anything he has to say. What this is basically saying is, is look, God does not condemn us, but he convicts us. Like, you need the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Like, if you never have this feeling or sense that you've said or done or feel or think something wrong, and you just have, you serve a God that's cool with anything you do, Tim Keller says this here. If your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idolized version of yourself. Like, here's the thing. The Holy Spirit, what God gives us as a Christian is that 
Sometimes there will be feelings where, where, where you know you said, did, or feel something wrong. And that, that is not shame or guilt or condemnation. That is the Holy Spirit telling you and convicting you and saying, you need to know that this is not right. And the thing is, if you don't listen to that and confess your sin and just be like, God, I'm sorry, then here's what will happen. Your heart and the voice of God, you'll become numb to it. And here's the thing, right? I, you know, probably about 16, 17 years old, I started to play the guitar. And I learned the, you know, G, D, E minor, C. You know, I could throw a B minor in there. You know, I could get a C sharp minor. I, I, could, I could get a few chords in there, right? But here's the thing. When I first started playing, my hands got, I mean, I, I, mean, I could only play for like five minutes because my, the tips of, of my fingers were like really sensitive. But then over time, calluses start to build up. Where what was once sensitive then becomes callous, and then I could play for hours because I didn't feel anything. And here's the thing. If we're not sensitive to God's voice and actually obey it whenever we feel something and kind of say, you know what? I probably shouldn't have said that. I probably shouldn't have done that. I probably shouldn't think that. I probably shouldn't act that way. Then you think if you put that voice off, your heart, spirit, and mind will become numb. You'll become numb to what God is trying to speak to you and say to you. But the point is this, God will never con- condemn us to change us. He'll never use shame. He'll never use guilt. But God will use conviction. He will use his Holy Spirit to point out things in us that aren't God's best. What we see here is Simba runs. Simba actually obeys his uncle and leaves and flees and just goes away from what the shame and guilt he felt. And what we see, Simba actually runs into a desert season. He runs away from his pain into a desert, literally a desert, where he's there and he gets parched and he falls down. Is there anyone here you feel like you have been in a desert season? Where it seems like you are away from all that is comfortable and familiar? Resources seem to be lacking. God's voice seems to be a million miles away, and it just feels like you're slaving away in the hot sunlight for hours upon hours, and deep down you know this isn't where you're supposed to be. You feel like you are in a desert season. And this could be in many areas. Maybe your job, marriage, your family, your relationship with the Lord. You just feel like you are in a dry place and you are at this place of questioning God saying why in the heck am I here but I literally felt God tell me that God but here's the thing I am here to tell you today the desert place is a place of preparation the desert place is a place of preparation what we read earlier Luke chapter 4 verse number 1 when Jesus it says this here Jesus full of the Holy Spirit left the Jordan and was led by The Spirit into the wilderness desert, led by the Spirit. If you feel like you are in a desert season, you might be despising where God has led you. Because Jesus went to the desert. He was led by the Spirit there. Why? He had to have a time of preparation and testing to prepare him to walk in his calling. And it says this, that he was led by the Spirit there, and what I feel strongly today is that some of you feel like you are, you are in a desert season, you're questioning God, why, 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 why? And I want to tell you today that God is telling you, you are in a season of preparation to prepare you for what God has for you next. Right after this, right after Jesus goes through, through this 40 days of testing, what it says here is that he immediately started his three years of public ministry. You know Jesus only did three years of public ministry? 
Three. Three. Three years of public ministry. He changed the world in three years. I believe that there are some of you here that God is saying, your greatest influence and impact for the kingdom of God, your three years is coming soon. And God has been preparing you for decades for your greatest harvest and season and impact. Here's the thing. Jesus, it took three years for Jesus to change the world. I don't care how old you are, how messed up you are. If you got three years in, in you, God can use you to impact the world too. Here's the thing. The desert was a time of preparation where Jesus learned to switch his source. That's why we see Satan tried to tempt him saying, eat this, then you'll be okay. But he said, it is written. His source wasn't his physical appetites being fulfilled. His source was what is what God's words were. His source switched instead of saying, you can have all of this. He said, I got God. I don't need a thing. Satan said, just, just jump off from here and God will show you his faithfulness. He said, it is written. I believe the desert season is, is a place for us to switch our source from what we can do to what God can do. And it shows us a part of God's character that we would never see unless we encountered a desert season. You can't have a testimony without a test, y'all. We want God to move. We want God to do something incredible. And then whenever we're in a situation where only God can move, we question why we're there. Is it, isn't that true? And then here's the thing. I pray today that we will reframe and gain a right perspective of the desert season you might be in. Here's the thing. I remember the desert season before starting Lifehouse. It was eight years, man. I went through a season of, like, working three jobs. Like, I was a full-time pastor driving What's, uh, what's it called, Uber, driving Uber at night, going to college full-time, and working construction half-day Friday and all-day Saturday just to pay the bills. And I, it was absolutely, you, know, you, you could ask Kristen, it was an insane desert season for my life where, honestly, I look back on it, and I have no idea how in God's holy name I did that. Literally, I have no idea. But here's the thing. That season prepared me for church planting. Like all, like all of that prepared me for what we jumped into, our family did back in 2016 and 17 of starting a brand new church. But when I was in the season, I had no idea what God was working or doing. And sometimes in your desert season, you're not going to have all of the answers. All you're going to have is God himself. And that's actually the purpose of your desert season, for you to see that all you need is God. And sometimes God will strip from you stuff that you hold as security blankets that you hold on to as being your source. And God is saying, I want to switch your source to not what you hold dear, not what you put your trust in, but to me. And it's in this desert season that we see Simba. He's there and he meets some new friends, Timon and Pumbaa. So it's in this desert season, he meets some friends and they teach him a little something new. A new way of life. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Hakuna Matata for the rest of your days. 
It's our problem free. Oh, y'all, y'all, y'all are way too cool for me. I, I can already tell you, like, I ain't singing. All y'all parents out there, you know you know this song. You know your kid watching this, right? You know the song, Hakuna Matata, right? He goes into this desert season, finds brand new friends, and learns something new. Hakuna Matata, where it's basically means do not, do not worry. Don't you wish not worrying was that easy? Just, yeah, I know I, know, I, know I, can't, pay, I know I can't pay my bills. Hakuna Matata. You got bill collectors calling you, hey, bro, Hakuna Matata, for the rest, you know, your mortgage ain't got, Hakuna Matata, Hakuna Matata don't work in this real world, baby. No matter how many times you say Hakuna Matata, Tatata Makuna, like, it doesn't matter, right? Like, we just wish that it was that easy. We just got some kind of hocus pocus way that we could just get rid of worry. Three, two, one, one, two, three, what the heck is bothering me? You know, it's like we try to use all these tactics and ways of getting rid of all this stuff that just worries us and we just wish we had this hocus pocus way of getting rid of the stuff we worry about. Jesus was not dumb to this. He knew a lot of his teaching was about worry because he knew people better than anybody. And here's the thing, what we actually see here, Jesus had a whole portion of teaching Luke chapter uh, Luke actually records it in his gospel in chapter 6 we're gonna actually read it this is what it says this is Jesus now that's definitely not it that is the whoa maybe I gave you the wrong scripture maybe it was Matthew it was Matthew 6 Hakuna Matata for the rest of your days it's <laughs> Okay, well, let's go to Matthew chapter 6. everybody. Matthew chapter 6, this is what it says here. It says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is, not little, is life not more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. Do they not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them? Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? <clears throat> Some of y'all need that word today. I know Cam Newton does. I'm just, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> sorry, Panther fans. I'm sorry. I just, I know there's a Panther fan here. Just saying. <laughs> See how the flowers of the field grow. <laughs> Love you, Cam Newton. If you're somehow listening to this podcast, I'm sorry. Uh, they do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each Day has enough trouble of its own. I want to point out three things quickly in this. There's a lot here, but I want to point out three, three things that will hopefully get you to a place of Hakuna Matata, okay? First off, you got to realize worry is the fruit. Unbelief is the root. Worry is just an outward expression of an inward belief your worry comes from somewhere your worry flows from somewhere in your in your life and what jesus actually says here he goes you know clothes all this stuff and then he says oh you of little faith honestly worry is just the fruit of your deep 
lack of trust and confidence in God's providence, sovereignty, and the ability to give you what you need. It's a lack of faith, flat out. It's not, I'm not calling you bad. I'm not using shame, guilt, or condemnation. But what I pray I'm doing here is helping you pinpoint in your life the root of your worry. The root of your worry isn't just that your bills aren't getting paid. It's just not that your kids are going crazy. It's not all these things. The root of your worry is an inward lack of trust and faith in the sovereignty, providence, and plan of God. He says, oh, you of little faith. Now, here's the thing. Having faith doesn't mean that things are always going to go smooth. Jesus never promises us that. He never promises us a life that we won't have your kids won't go crazy or this and that. Like, he doesn't promise that, but what he promises us is a peace inside of the storm. What he promises us is almost a bubble that what is going on here can't affect what's going on inside of here. And that's what Jesus promises. He says, I will give you, in the midst of your insanity, I will give you a faith and trust in my plan that will supersede your external circumstances. So you got to understand, worry is just the fruit of the root of your unbelief. Secondly, you've got to make sure you've got a right view of what is a need and what is a want. Because a lot of y'all worry about stuff that is wants, not needs. See, we have taken this whole thing of what I have kind of like heard church people do. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added. All. And you know what they include in that all? Vacations. And Mercedes. And big houses. And Swiss bank accounts. And, you know, just, just retirement plans. And just seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added. <laughs> do you know what, when Jesus is talking here about the all, do you know what he actually means, what the context is, what he actually mentions? You're going to have some clothes. You're going to have some food. You're going to have something to drink. He focuses on your needs and not your wants. A lot of what we worry about are wants and not needs. No, that was backwards. Many times what we actually worry about is need. You know, is, I mean, y'all, I've had a long weekend. I did a wedding yesterday. I'm tired. Y'all get the point. A lot of y'all are worried about th- stuff. When you've got a roof over your head, you've got food in your stomach, you, like you're doing okay, but you have this deep-seated worry that, but it's because you're focusing on your wants and not your needs. Thank you for y'all's help, because <laughs> I need it. And so... We've got to make sure we have an accurate description, an accurate, def- an accurate definition of what God is saying. And then he says this, seek first the kingdom. When he says seek first the kingdom, what that actually means is seek your first desire, your first goal is to seek to become a certain kind of person. When he says seek the kingdom, what he's saying there is seek to become a kingdom-minded person. The, in other words, your first goal, what you should be seeking first, is the kind of person you are being transformed and conformed into. We're worried about the wrong stuff. 
We're worried about, am I going to have this job? Am I going to have enough salary? Am I going to have retirement plan? Am I going to be able to send my kids to college? No, you won't be able to send your kids to college. It's way too expensive. It's like, it's like you got all of these things going on, and, and you're worried about stuff. But do you know what you aren't worried about enough? is the kind of person you are conforming and transforming into. And Jesus says, seek first the kingdom. Seek first to become a follower of Jesus that is conformed and transformed. Why? Because your first call is to somebody, not something. My prayer is that we would be worried about the right stuff. That, that you would have, am I becoming like Jesus? Am I transforming and conforming to who God is more every year, every day, every week, every month? And then we shift our focus just from us being worried about stuff that in the light of eternity doesn't mean a daggone thing. And honestly, just to be candid with you, Jesus never promised he'd give you. It's what United States Christianity has promised you. He says, all these things, your needs. Because here's the thing, you'll never be generous if you always think you have need. You never, if you always have a scarcity mentality, a mentality like it's never enough, and our culture has a cultural tsunami telling you you need more, 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 more. If you always think you have lack, you will never be generous. Ever. Thirdly, Worry steals from your present. And this is why I believe the gospel is the greatest prescription for worry. Because when you look at what the gospel is, the gospel, what Jesus did on the cross, in your place, before your sin, he rose and beat death. Like, the gospel story handles your past. He forgives you. He redeems you. He says, as far as the east is from the west, so much have I forgotten what, like, it takes care of our past. It secures our future so we can put our energy, our passion, our focus on the present moment. It takes care of our past and secures our future so we can be right here, fully present, saying, God, I'm here. I'm alert. I'm awake. What do you want to do in me and what do you want to do through me? Some of y'all can't even focus on the here and now because you're worried about your past, you're regretting your past, you're looking back, or you're looking so far front, you can't even think straight in the here and now because you're so worried about the future. And we will never have a, a group of Christians, a group, we will never have a church with power if we're always worried about the future. And we will never have a church of power if we always have people worried about and being feeling guilty and condemning themselves over their past. That's why the gospel is, is, is the greatest prescription for your worry. Because you don't have to regret your past. Jesus died for sin. It's, it's, it's dealt with. And it secures your future, your eternal future at home in the kingdom of God forever. It secures your future so you can live with zest, power, and passion in the present. Hakuna Matata. Here's the thing right though. Simba, he finds this life with Timon and Pumbaa, let's just say they weren't the most motivated. <laughs> they were uh, more on the chill side, if you know what I mean. They liked to live that life that was, uh, you know, by the water, <laughs> sipping on those uh, virgin daiquiris and living it up. And Simba gets in this life where he's very comfortable. He's very comfortable. While the people he was called to actually lead is suffering under Scar's rule. And there was a person in that crowd that 
Simba left, Nala, who was supposed to be Simba's, Simba's partner, wife, ruling Pride Rock. Nala says, I'm done with this crap. I'm going to find help. And she goes and, and actually goes to the place where Simba is and finds Simba. And essentially, Nala looks at Simba and says, what in God's name are you doing? <laughs> Flat out. And says, you are here living it up by the water, Hakuna Matata, while the people you are called to lead are suffering. And do you know what Nala does? She essentially tells him, you weren't made for comfort. You were made for your calling. You better get your Simba lion butt. <laughs> Leave your comfort and go for your calling. And Simba has to make a choice here. First off this, Nala went and told, Nala went and called Simba back to his purpose. Let me tell you this, y'all. In the church, we need people who will be Nala's. Who will look into people and say, there's more for you. I know you're in a comfortable place right now. I know you think life is all about you. I know you think life is all about your comfort and pleasure. But we need Nala's in the church that will go to people and say, I see in you more. You weren't made for this. You were made for something greater. And what that voice is, is it, it, it is essentially a prophetic voice looking into people's lives and prophetically seeing in, in them what they don't see in themselves. And we need Nala's in the church where instead of condemning people and shaming people and guilting people and just be like, oh, you suck because you did this. No, we need to like say, there is more for you. God has a greater plan for you. We need Nala's in the church. We need Nala voices that will call out in people what they don't see and call them and, and, and push them into what God has for them. But what we see here, Simba has to make a decision. Is he going to continue in his comfort or is he going to go back and do what his original calling was? And really, the debate was this, comfort or calling? And let me tell you, one of the greatest challenges the church in the United States faces, and I want everybody's voice here, attention here, the greatest, one of the greatest challenges we have as the church in the United States is if we are going to be people of comfort or are we going to be people of calling? And let me tell you why. We live in a culture. We can say we're, we, you know, Christians, we can say we're getting, you know, we can say that we're getting, um, you know, uh, persecuted and we can say things are all bad. Y'all, we have it very good here. Christians have it very good here. And what I am concerned about it is with the cultural comfort we have that it will lull the church to sleep. It will lull us to think everything's all good and we don't have a lot of persecution. And you know what it says? That it will lull us to sleep and keep us from our ultimate calling of being the response of God to the pain in this world. 
Because it's easy for most of us to be and live in a place of comfort where we go to church on Sundays, we, you know, we kind of do a few things here and there, but not actually sell our lives out and say we are not called as followers of Jesus Christ to live a life of comfort. We're called to live a life of calling, and the calling as Christ followers is to run not from jacked up, messed up cities and people, but to run to them because we ultimately believe that we have the good news of Jesus Christ. We have what this city, what this world, what this community needs. And we will be tempted to play it safe. We will be tempted to stay in these four walls. We will be tempted to stay away from jacked up, messed up people and situations instead of living out our calling as the church to go and be the physical hands, feet, and representation of a God that cannot be seen. And my prayer in individually and corporately is that we would be a church that would live out of our calling instead of our comfort and the greatest example of this is Jesus himself who left the comforts of heaven to come down into our hell and live out his calling of being the sacrifice for sin of rising and defeating Satan sin and death and then giving the Holy Spirit to his church to empower them to go out and be the hands, feet, and representation of Jesus in this world. And my concern is that we will run from that instead of run towards that in the same way Simba contemplated it and said, I've got a lot of good stuff here. I got friends, I got a nice lake, I got, man, I got all the grubs that I want, I got all the worms I want, I got, you know, I got animals I can eat. I could take it easy here and live my life in a constant state of comfort. But Nala said, no, sir. You get back, and you get back to Pride Rock, and you live out your calling as the king of Pride Rock. And thankfully, Simba, he took and he did that calling. He went back, he defeated Scar, and took his rightful place as the king. And I think the challenge for us today personally and corporately is are we going to be of a people that is going to live for comfort or our calling? And here's the thing, like I said, the greatest example that we have is Jesus. Thank you again for joining us on the Lifehouse Newport News podcast. If you're ever in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to join us at one of our live worship experiences at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Kiln Creek Movie Theaters. Until then, feel free to check us out at www.theaterchurchnn.com or on any social media platform. Thank you so much, and God bless.